Hello, and welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about true people's liberation movements, and hopefully one day, a true proletarian revolution. But until we get there, I am your host, Josh, and I just want to say thank you very much for stopping by. It really does mean a lot. Um, I've been doing podcasting for like two years now, um, and I now have a consistent viewership of about 30 to 35 of you. So it really does mean a lot that you come by and listen. Um, I'm glad that anything I say has any importance to anyone, um, because that makes me know that at least I'm not doing this podcast and spending all my time researching this stuff just for the sake of nobody giving a shit. Um, But, like I said, I want to say thank you for stopping by. Um, If you would feel so inclined to, if you listen to the episode and you enjoy it, um, if you could do me a favor and either, you know, follow me on my social medias. Uh, I have Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram. Or if you could, um, if you really enjoy the show, go over to Apple Podcasts and give me um, a rating and a review. It would mean the world. Um, And if for any reason you want to reach out to me, um, you can either DM me on my social media or you could email me at indefenseofliberation, no caps, no spaces, at gmail.com. You can reach out, obviously, for whatever reason. Uh, I would love to hear from you. And, uh, yeah, so, again, thank you for stopping by, and I hope you enjoy the episode. So, today we are going to be talking about something that I've kind of hit on in brief. I mean, if you don't listen to my show and you haven't been listening to my show for a while, I haven't really talked about it in depth in a long time. Um, But I want to talk about what it's like um, being a Marxist-Leninist-Maoist today and growing up having been a evangelical conservative. Um, So I, you know, I don't hide anything. I grew up middle class. Um, My parents were white. They were extremely uh, Christian. We were evangelical Protestants. Um, They also were extremely conservative. They, you know, they believe some pretty awful shit, and they still do. Um, And a lot of it stemmed from not only evangelicism, um, but if you know anything about evangelicism in America, it takes on a whole new level in uh, basically super patriotism, Um, a lot of 
ethnocentrism, a lot of reactionary nationalism, and a lot of other bigoted uh, beliefs, viewpoints, morals, ethics, etc. And that has a lot to do with, first and foremost, the history of the church in general, but also it has a lot to do with the way in which the United States was founded, what it was founded for, um, and who got to found it and enjoy America, and who got to suffer because of those who got to enjoy America. So, first and foremost, uh, evangelic uh, Protestantism is a... I don't want to call it... I guess you'd call it a sect of Christianity, which uh, I don't know what it believes that differs from anyone except for really the Catholic Church, um, because Protestantism, the one thing I'm sure anyone right might know about it is uh, Martin Luther's uh, 95 Theses about why the Catholic Church was corrupt, why he believed them to be revisionists, etc. Um, also, in the United States, Protestantism um, is... The version of Christianity that I grew up with is the version of Christianity that if you grow up Christian in the United States, you usually grow up with. Um, my upbringing was not especially fundamentalist. I have a friend who grew up in a fundamentalist evangelical household um, who had to undergo head of household training, uh, was taught that it is their will, or their kind of need to submit to God's will for them to have as many children as they could, because they believed that um, this was how they were going to be able to save the world from what they believed would be the Muslim takeover. So my, par my parents and my family was not explicitly that fundamentalist and racist but I think down to their cores they do believe that shit um, so I grew up believing basically that Jesus was the son of God he came to earth in order to spread the word of God um, he lived a life as a regular average human being to show that he truly loves the people he's not the king of kings and the lord of lords in the sense that he's going to come down and dominate, pull a Julius Caesar, uh, and rule over, you know, the area. He's going to come down and try to spread the word of God as an average human. Uh, then he gets crucified. He is dead for three days. He rises again. He goes to heaven. He becomes one with God again in the Holy Spirit. And then the disciples and the rest of the story, because <laughs> that's, you know, the story, the, the creation story um, and Jesus' story is basically that then 
you know, it's about the ways in which different people tried to spread the word of God. Um, I never got really into it. And this is kind of what set me on my way, I feel, towards kind of alternate politics and alternate mindsets to my folks because I could never fully get behind the God thing. Like, I spent a good portion of my life really trying to believe in God, spending time reading the Bible, spending time praying and stuff like that. And, you know, not to throw shade at anyone who believes in God, it never worked for me. Nothing ever clicked the way that they said it was supposed to. I never heard the whisper of God, you know, and I could never see things in my life as miracles. Um, You know, I'm adopted, so my folks used to always say, like, I was a miracle, that they, you know, I found them, and that they were able to find me, da-da-da-da. Well, not for nothing, the reason why that happened is because a lot of awful shit happened to my biological family. Um, So, like, in my mind, to be like, you're our miracle, it couldn't be true. Because if that, and if it were, that's awful. Because that means that that miracle came with the suffering of my biological family, who still to this day has a lot of issues. Um, and, and, you know, my biological mother specifically has issues with the fact that I was adopted, that she wasn't able to raise me and stuff like that. So that was always, that always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. <clears throat> and then, like I said, just never really being able to see, hear, feel God, um, no matter what I tried, and that kind of put a doubt in my mind, so I was always very, very critical of anything that my grandparents would tell me, anything that my parents would try to tell me, and for a lot of years, I was actually at the point where I didn't believe anything they were saying. Uh, And I tried to save face for a really long time because, not for nothing, the way the non-Christians get treated in my family and spoken about, I just didn't really want any part of. Um, But they, they just kind of beat me down to a point where, like, I couldn't, I couldn't, like, get myself to talk about anything going on in my life, because if I did so, I knew that it was going to become a conversation about God, why I need to start praying more, and if I dedicated myself and just had the faith of a mustard seed, that I would be able to come to know the Lord and everything would be peachy keen from there and you know my grandma is probably the most truest Christian that I know like is genuinely not a hypocrite believes everything that she says stands by God lives her life for God um, and has been dedicated to God since she was like 14 so I can't throw too much shade at her because if you're going to believe this shit, 
I would rather have you really believe the shit than just try to use it as a moral high horse thing. So I guess that's good. But because of that, my grandma thinks that she's a fucking preacher. And every single time that we talk, she has to bring up the fact that she just really wishes that I would start learning the word of God because she's always like, with your passion for people and your knowledge and ability to memorize things, you would be a fantastic, fantastic missionary. And it's like, I spend a lot of time trying to explain to her why I don't think that would be useful. You know, I explain that when it comes to missionaries and, like, religion and folks who are religious trying to help others, there's a pattern on kind of all sides of the coin where each group, although they might be trying to help people, they might even have their heart in the right place and think like, well, these are human beings just like I'm human being. Um, They're still most likely doing it with the objective of trying to convert this person to their religion. And so... I feel that because of that, they will compromise their objectives and their ability to truly help people because it will come with a a stipulation of if they truly think they will be able to convert this person. And even, you know, the really good uh, uh, believers of any religion who genuinely might not do that, there still is a good chance that they won't be able to organize and help people in the way they should because they're not trying to build towards a revolution. They're not trying to overturn the status quo. They're not trying to uh, resolve the contradictions within uh, modern society. They're just trying to alleviate the symptoms and put a band-aid over it that is God X, Y, or Z. Uh, and the belief that comes with believing in God X, Y, or Z that you, you know, for example, uh, Christians believe that the apocalypse is coming, um, that Jesus will come again and he will bring all of the um, faithful Christians up into heaven and everyone on earth will be damned to, I think it's seven years of hell on earth before a new hell and a new heaven are created. Um, and then they are damned to hell. Um, and that damnation to hell always really fucked with me. Because, like, I was a child, man. To, like, traumatize kids in that way is, in my opinion, psychotic and so indecent and just awful to do. Um, I still today have a traumatic fear of death. Um, Even though I don't believe in God, even though I don't believe in hell, I still have an incredible fear of death because of it. Um, And I even mentioned this to my folks because we actually spent like two hours talking about God yesterday. Um, It was a good conversation because now I'm able to... Like I said, I used to save face but I don't really anymore. So now I'm able and willing to say out loud, like, I don't believe God's real, and here's why. So we were having that conversation last night, and I brought this up about how traumatizing 
it is and was to have grown up thinking that. And yo, my grandma said good because she was like, that'll put the fear of God in you and then you'll finally be able to, you know, have faith and believe in God because, you know, that fear should guide you to belief. Which, you know, that's a really good way to organize people to build a kind of coalition and a following is to terrify people into believing things. That's a very logical and conclusive way of doing that, right? So, because of this, Christians ultimately believe, and I I can't speak for other religions um, because I don't really know, but I do know Christians, they believe that that is inevitable, um, as in the apocalypse, the world ending, God coming again, like, that is just simply going to happen. And so, like, a lot of the suffering on, like, in the world and throughout history, um, and especially right now, my grandma always tells me, and it's so annoying, she's always like, you can't change the nature of human beings. Human beings are eternally damned to sin. And so if you want to, you know, try to fix the world, just try to fix the world one person at a time because you can never change the way the world works. And it's, you know, not destined for any of us to come out uh, on the other end uh, perfectly well. So, you know, just kind of making the point that, you know, fold your cards and go ahead and step aside because man is full of sin and therefore humans will never be able to um, actually change anything that's wrong with the world, um, which is a super awful perspective to have. It's ahistorical, and it's also ignorant and incredibly privileged um, to be able to say and think that way. So that's always bothered me, and because how much my folks used to love to preach about you know, everybody being God's children, us supposed to help one another and stuff like that, they actually did build up a little bit of a base in me as a child uh, and kind of, you know, growing up through my teenage years, even though I was a fucking prick, I still believed that people, like, needed help and deserved help. Um, I just, at that point, was very picky-choosy about who that was. Um... And eventually I got to a point where I started to recognize how hypocritical it was of them to talk about how we should be helping people. Um, Because for someone who believed it as much as they did, they never went out and helped anybody unless they were doing it for the purpose of spreading the word of God. Like, I went on a missions trip to Cleveland. Hell yeah. That's how shitty I am. I went on a fucking missions trip. I went on a missions trip to Cleveland. But, hold, I should say, side note, I went on a missions trip to Cleveland. Um, And when I did so, the whole week I was there, me and my partner were waiting to find out if I was going to be fired from the Christian summer camp that my cousin owned for going out and getting drunk and high just about every day. Um, And so, (laughs) like, I I definitely wasn't (coughs) 
at any point in time, like, the religious freak that ever tried to (coughs) spread the word of God, but still shitty of me for having gone to Cleveland and participating in something like that, but I brought it up because when we went there, we went there and helped people, like, I went there and helped run, like, a weekend uh, basketball clinic, Um, we built and refurbished furniture for a local church, we went around and handed out food to and kind of spoke with some people, uh, like, on the side of the road, but, like, it was all very superficial, and that's how evangelicals always are. They, they believe in helping people, but they believe in helping people because it's God's will. And so they do it begrudgingly, and they do it because they think they're supposed to. And, you know, even those who do it purely, do it purely for the reason of spreading God. And I think that this ultimately builds... Uh, a dependency mentality that does not actually liberate the working class, um, as Marx said and is often misquoted for um, and misunderstood intentionally and misrepresented, is when he says religion is the opioid for the masses. He was never saying that religion in and of itself is a ignorant stupid thing for anyone to believe in and anyone who believes in it is wrong I mean he as far as I know he believed that religion in and of itself was incorrect and I won't say useless but not something he found use in but what Marx was trying to say was in a society such as ours so dictated by oppression and suffering The masses have to turn to anything that they can to try to feel better, to try to feel numb, to try to uh, abdicate themselves from their reality, to try to remove themselves and have hope in something. Um, Similar to an opioid or, you know, any kind of drug meant to make you feel uh, less pain, it is a masking of the pain and therefore what Marx is trying to say is if we want to solve the problems if we want to work towards alleviating the suffering then we have to take religion as it is and recognize that it is a masking of the issues which takes away people's ability to get to the concrete basis of their material reality in order to have a concrete analytical way to solve those issues Um, because like the Christian or religious mentality is what I might call a metaphysical uh, analysis or mentality meaning it is not materialist it is not based on a concrete study of concrete conditions When you study something metaphysically, you take it out of its relation. So if I were to study um, a certain plant, right, and I removed it from its natural habitat, and I kept it in a lab for a month, and then I tried to study it, there might be some things about that plant that I might not be able to conclusively understand. There might be some things 
about that plant that I can't try to, I can't understand about its place in the ecosystem because I am not looking at it in its natural uh, existence and its natural form. Uh, another way that this is done is when people try to say that socialism or communism fails every time. Um, Kwame Ture, <coughs> formerly Stokely Carmichael, spoke about this in one of his speeches where he basically made the point that if one is to actually conclusively want to analyze something like socialism, then they should not analyze it in really uh, experienced socialism, as in the Soviet Union, or as in Cuba, or as in Ghana, or wherever, but socialism's principles, its law of motion, and its foundational core um, kind of science. Um, Because we want to be able to analyze something not in a one-sided manner, disconnected to its actual material reality, but we want to be able to study something in its true form from a holistic point of view, understanding the full scope of something like socialism. So we need to be not metaphysical, but materialist in our analysis. So when we study socialism and we say socialism always fails, we are not being materialist because saying socialism always fails is not recognizing that the base of that issue is not that socialism fails, but capitalism makes socialism fail. The claims about things like God are unfalsifiable claims. And we see this in a lot of arguments about really existing socialist countries of the present and of the past, where they basically make a claim about something which you can't equivocally understand and conclusively uh, theorize. You are basing it on, on ideas. You are basing it maybe on a moralistic understanding. When people say Stalin was a dictator or they say socialism uh, is bad and it is evil and it just wants to steal everything from uh, the hard workers and try to give it to the lazy, you're not, you're not giving me a material analysis. I have no reason to try to engage in conversation with you because you're making an unfalsifiable claim. How can I crit- critically and conclusively show you that socialism is not quote-unquote bad. Because by saying socialism is bad, you have a definition for bad, and socialism fits into it. So by saying, no, socialism isn't bad, there's no way I can convince you of such because bad to us and what our kind of proof and the evidence we want to use and accept are completely different. And in this same way, when people talk about God, There's no way that you can test that, the supposed 
truth of God, there's no way you can test that against the material reality. There's no way you can conclusively get a study which says why or why not God is or isn't real. Now, I feel I could come up with that and I feel like it would be correct and we could understand why it would be correct. But if you tried to give that evidence to someone who believes in God, they will not accept it. And they will present yet again unfalsifiable claims about why you just need to have faith and how you can't doubt and you'll have to see God in everything and understand that God made everything. And so if it's good, it's because God made it. Um, and, And basically all that bullshit that you can't disagree with and you can't argue conclusively in a way that makes them actually look at the question of God logically. Now, we've talked about materialism on the show before, but, you know, understanding why materialism is important is recognizing that in order to actually solve a problem, you need to first understand where that problem starts from, what originates and cultivates that, uh, that problem. And that comes through, again, conclusive and concrete analysis of concrete conditions. So if you want to understand why uh, people living in Skid Row are so incredibly, uh, you know, hungry, why they're so incredibly uh, impoverished, you have to look not solely at their actions, but also of the system that they exist in, the nation that they exist in, the social political and economic interests that are served by the impoverishment and hunger of these people and what they can or cannot do to actually get to the base of that issue and change that. Um, And so a materialist analysis would bring us to uh, a concrete solution which can be implemented through practice into the real world. So like the theories of revolution, how to organize and build a revolutionary movement, they're not just based off of some ideas that Lenin had or that Stalin had or that Mao had or that Karl Marx and Frederick Engels had. They're not these just broad, ridiculous ideas. They come through a critical analysis of the political, social, and economic structures and basis of a given society at a given time. They look at the class analysis, meaning what classes exist, but also what classes will collaborate with one another. And understanding something like that allows one to then come to conclusive uh, steps, strategies, and tactics that they can employ organizing styles, um, different forms of struggle that they can participate in in order to raise the consciousness of the people and ultimately organize the people to a point where they can recognize what material and concrete steps they need to take, do them, do them by their own uh, admission and uh, through their own guiding ship. Because in this way, then we are actually able to impact the material reality. Hoping that God will come and save us or thinking that 
you know, Joe Biden is just going to be the guy who's going to do it and is going to change things for us. Uh, both kind of bring us to a point of dependency. They bring us to a point of powerlessness and they bring us to a point of, you know, kind of uselessness. We find ourselves not doing anything to actually impact our own material reality. And when we do that, we are submitting ourselves to that reality and not allowing ourselves to recognize that the world has been different before. Capitalism has not always ruled the world. And therefore, that means that it doesn't necessarily have to rule the world forever if we do something about it. And again, to do this, we have to have a clear and scientific understanding of our material conditions. This can be done in a lot of different ways, but we have to make sure that just like any other scientific analysis, we do a process of material experimentation uh, therein um, compared to some form of a control um, using uh, critical analysis and evidence-based answers coming to a uh, conclusive result that either uh, affirms or uh, disproves your original hypothesis. So if one were to hypothesize that capitalism ultimately creates uh, double, triple, quadruple the amount of poverty that it, uh, as it creates a certain amount of wealth. So meaning that capitalism by its natural tendencies, as it um, creates more wealth, it also throws more people into the working class. It also uh, devalues their money. It also puts uh, them in a more dependent and oppressed uh, kind of place in society. And again, it because of its very wealth accumulation, it is taking wealth from those that it could be redistributed to. So therefore, it is also increasingly making more profit because as the ruling class accumulates more wealth, there's less wealth for the working class. Um, excuse me one moment while I open my store door because it might be loud. Um, but trying to do things in this way, right? Coming to a conclusion based off of experimentation is the only way that we can test our ideas against the material reality. So that's why they say uh, praxis is theory in practice is because when we take a certain theory and we test it against the material reality by trying to stage revolution or waging class struggle, it is the only way that we can uh, take a social science and try to understand it because an experiment or a theory about uh, social uh, makeup of a society, you can't just do that in a lab. You can't just try to test something like that uh, in isolation, in a metaphysical way. The only way you can actually test that theory against the material reality is to try to wage a revolution. That is an experiment. That is the people's experiment. And it ultimately is the best teacher that the people can ever have. 
But the issue with that is it takes a long time to build. It takes a lot of effort to try to organize people. It takes a long and um, militant uh, struggle of education in trying to build the consciousness of the masses. Uh, so it's not something that we can just go out and go, hey guys, what if we did this thing where we overthrew the ruling class and you think, oh yeah, people are going to be like, oh, I would love to take part in your experiment, my friend. Uh, I would love to be a part of your, uh, you know, revolution. That, that shit doesn't happen. You can't just sell somebody a newspaper or write a single argue, uh, article or have a you know single conversation with someone and just sit there and go, all right, now we're gonna have the revolution. We just gotta you know go to the ones and twos, and if we just talk to enough people, you know it's it's gonna happen. No, you have to have a militant strategy. You have to recognize by going to the people, not just trying to theorize in your armchair, but going to the people and trying to figure out what it is they need. What is causing their suffering? What are they talking about? What are they most upset about? And trying to use that material analysis to try to come up with strategies and tactics that can and will be able to be tested against the material reality and can and will improve the material reality, that can only be done correctly by the mass line going to the masses, bringing from the masses, learning from the masses, going back to the masses, organizing with the masses, and building a revolution of the masses. Um, not a revolution uh, that is tried to be led by intellectuals, although intellectuals are incredibly important to the revolution, because if it weren't for Lenin, if it weren't for Stalin, if it weren't for Mao, if it weren't for people who understood the theory, people who understood how to do a material and class analysis, then honestly, none of these revolutions would have succeeded. Um, and it, it's not an elitist take to feel that there is a necessity for intellectuals. It's just a clear historical truth. Um, you know, you have to be able to get a message across to people that will be conclusive enough that they can't argue it, and it will be a uh, concrete enough analysis that it can also, again, be tested against the material conditions and improve people's material conditions. So materialism, right, is one way of understanding uh, human existence, our world, um, and kind of how it came to be, why it is the way that it is, what we can do to change it, etc. Um, whereas idealism is, again, as it seems, an idealized version of the world. So when we talk about, you know, making revolution in the world, and we begin our discussion from a point, again, that doesn't base itself in material reality. We are being idealist. We are being utopian. Because by doing so, we're trying to cultivate a, a reality based on our own perspective that may or may not actually exist. Again, my grandma believes that the entire world 
is covered with sin, and that's why everything is happening as it is. Now, that's pretty idealized version of the world that you can't test against material reality, and it's also, again, unfalsifiable and something that cannot be acted upon. If we want to see things change, if my grandma honestly believed that, you know, things should be better for the people of the world, she instead would be looking for ways to actually change the material conditions for people in the world, not just say that they're based on um, some ridiculous notion of sin and believing that then these people don't deserve, you know, any sort of better treatment because they are full of sin. Um, and, you know, God said you shouldn't sin, and Adam and Eve ate the apple, so now we're all damned to hell unless we say thank you to our sky daddy for giving us the life that all of us didn't want in the fucking first place, um, and for allowing the world to get to the point that it is so many people to suffer and die. Um, that is the God we're supposed to believe in. So materialism again is really important because it gives us the ability to actually have um, strategies to try to solve the problems. Um, It's like when you go to counseling and you discuss with your therapist the traumas you have, the issues you struggle with, etc. It's not just to sit there and be like, ooh, look at these things that have happened to me. Um, and wow, I really wish that they would get better, but I'll never get better. That's idealism. Um, you know, you can get better. Everybody can get better. Um, a lot of us are suffering from depression today and, you know, we should have hope in the fact that there is a a better world. There is, uh, tomorrow that a future that could be built, that could give us what we need as human beings that could create an egalitarian, or at least more egalitarian, society where everybody gets as they need. And from that point on, we can build more. And I want to give people the hope that also um, depression is something that many of us struggle with. But because of that, many of us can understand each other in a way um, that is truly human that most people don't ever get to experience. Uh, So if you can, if you have loved ones in your life that you feel you can speak to uh, about, you know, these things, I would ask you to please reach out to anyone and anyone, everyone and anyone you can. Because I think that more than we want to believe, um, Many of us experience very similar lives. Most of us experience very sad and hard lives because of capitalism, because of things that capitalism has created. And so I feel that more than we recognize, we are not the same, but we have endured a lot of the same things. And therefore, we can be there for each other. We can build something for each other because we were all there the whole time. We know what didn't work or we should. We know what did work or we should. And if we don't, we have all these people who have experienced the same thing, who we can talk to, we can build community with, we can learn from, we can uh, educate them, we can grow solidarity with and have uh, kind of a connection to 
other people who can help us uh, along the way and start working towards eradicating the issues that we're all suffering from. But in order to do this, like I was talking about earlier, it can't be on some idealized shit like, well, once we just get this last person to believe in God, everything's going to get better. It has to be uh, analysis that, again, can bring you to a point where you are able to take theories, put them into practice, and then learn from them. Because also, revolution is not having the right ideas. Revolution is not just simply knowing the or understanding material reality. It's building a revolution. It's building mass organizations. And it's building a reality that most of us have never experienced. That is an extremely difficult thing. So we have to recognize this is an effort that will take years. This is also an effort that will require as many hands on deck as we can get, um, which means today we need to be working on ourselves. We need to be defeating our biases. We need to be looking at our own beliefs and trying to understand where we came to those beliefs from. We need to take a critical analysis of our ideology. We need to take a critical analysis of our material reality, and we need to take a conclusive and concrete study of those concrete conditions for the purpose of not just simply trying to find reforms, trying to find some things that might make it better for a few people, trying to get a new president, a new Supreme Court justice, a new uh, congressperson, a new whomever. It takes more than that. We have to build a revolution. And in order to, in order to do so, we have to build revolutionary organizations. Because if we are Marxists, if we are communists, then we believe that the goal or the logical conclusion in order to resolve capitalism's contradictions is a proletarian revolution. And in order to build a proletarian revolution, one must be able to do so concretely in a way that will succeed. When we come to an understanding of our own traumas and our own sufferings, we know that there are ways in which will help us get through these things and get over these things. There are ways that we can resolve conflict in our life. There are ways that we can work towards building better relationships. But in order to do so, we can't just do whatever. We can't just walk up to someone we had a conflict with and be like, hey, so I'm over this, right? You are too. That's not a likely solution. Um, you try to avoid the framing of this as common sense because proletarian revolution, eradicating capitalism and the ruling class, they are not um, common sense. They just simply aren't. Um, which means that we have to spend so much time learning ourselves. We have to begin understanding the core principles of Marxism. We have to understand the law of contradictions. We have to understand... Um, uh, things in a dialectical manner, not a metaphysical one, connected, how their relationships affect their existence, how their environment and material reality affect their existence, and how there is good and bad, quote-unquote, in everything, how there are positives and negatives in everything, and how in every um, progressive step there will be a regressive one, um, and we constantly have to be struggling 
We constantly have to be building. We constantly have to be critiquing and self-critiquing. We constantly have to be learning and understanding things better in a more deeper way by talking to others who experience these things, by talking to others who have similar ideas, and especially also talking to those who don't necessarily have similar ideas. Because through practice, we really sharpen our tools. Um, We sharpen our ability to wage struggle. We sharpen our ideology and our understandings. And so ideological struggle um, is also incredibly important. That's that critique and self-critique and debating. Um, But again, all of this we need to do with a materialist framework, with a dialectical framework. um, And we have to do revolution with the prime goal being revolution. If we do re- revolution with the prime goal prime goal being maybe they'll make things better for us, maybe there'll be a few reforms, we're not going to do as much as we need to. If we try to build revolution by saying, "Okay, I know Marx said under no pretext the working class should give up its arms." I know Marx said that revolution is violent, that proletarian revolution is the smashing of the state as it exists, and its recreation as a proletarian one, the cultivation of the rule of the many over the few instead of the few over the many, and understanding how to do so through reading the experiences of the Russian Revolution, reading the experiences of communist and socialist struggles within your own country reading the ideas of different Marxists, different Marxist-Leninists, different Marxist-Leninist-Maoists, and really diving deep into this philosophy, not just for the sake of knowing a few things or memorizing a few things or being able to talk about a few things, but really understanding things in a way that you can employ that understanding. If you understand how to build a proletarian revolution, then go build a proletarian revolution. Don't just sit around and say, listen, I know what you're doing wrong, and this is what you need to be doing instead. If you think so, get off your fucking ass and go do it. Plain and simple. Um, And also realize that things like religion, um, and again, revisionism, lead us away from concrete analysis. They lead us away from uh, a conclusive step-by-step strategy uh, and the ability to change tactics, the ability to understand our material reality in order to influence and impact our struggle, um, which means we have to be as militant and as disciplined in our analysis of the world, plain and simple. Um, but yeah, so... Basically, my whole point of talking about this is coming from evangelicism and getting to the point that I'm at now, I recognize that the world is not something that has just happened. The world is not something that just is shitty because the world's shitty. Uh, The world is an actual man-made thing. Society as it exists is disciplined. It is militant. And it is actively organizing. The ruling class is constantly 
drawing new cadre. They are constantly propagandizing. They are agitating. They are educating. They are organizing. They are building. They are struggling, and they are trying to wage a takeover of the the ruling class itself is trying to consolidate itself um, through contradictions that are coming to the fore uh, between different ruling class groups, um, and that will come to a, a point. But what I see today is similar to a situation that existed in pre-World War One Italy and a situation that existed in pre-World War II Germany, which is a lack of organization of the working class and a ruling class that is intent on trying to solidify and consolidate its rule, which will try to eradicate the class struggle, try to take all and every reform, every kind of uh, gain that the working class has had. They're taking our um, overtime because they made a lot of jobs part-time. They took our benefits. They took our pensions and made them 401ks. They took our tax dollars and used them towards military. They eradicated our social services. They're depleting social security. I guarantee you unemployment is going to be gone soon. And that's them doing that. The ruling class who is in charge of our society against our will, doing things that go against our interest for the sake of their own interests. Because the ruling class, the bourgeoisie, the owning class has interests that are directly contradictory to the masses. And therefore, the masses need to eradicate and overthrow the ruling class in order to actually build things that give the interests of the many the ability to be met instead of the interests and the private growth and wealth accumulation of a few, the betterment of all or as many as can be possibly benefited by a single action. Um, so that's what we need to be working towards. We need to be building to, uh, towards revolution and we need to be enacting revolutionary struggle. So. Thank you for listening, folks. I hope to see you next time. Enjoy the rest of your day. Um, Stay revolutionary. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye.